1: Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. With the Six Nations done and dusted for another year, we reviewed all the tournament's talking points with 2003 Grand Slam winner Neil Back, as well as journalists Gavin Mayers, Owen Slott and Alan Dimmock. We also heard from England's man of the moment, Eddie Jones, and looked ahead to the return of the international players in time for the final straight of the Aviva Premiership. Jackie, great to see you. Great to have you here. What a reception. These people love you, they know what you've (coughs) achieved. Good to have you here.
2: No, thank you. I bought them all a drink earlier, so... uh... (laughs) That may explain why they're such a
1: lively bunch. That did it, I think. Well, look, we've reunited you now to make up two-thirds of that great back row. Over 190 caps when you played in the World Cup final together in
3: 2003. And what is it, Lawrence, 36 times you started internationals together? Yeah, I think um, we had Dip Rose uh, was playing at number eight, and uh, I think I was at uh, I was on the open side. funnily enough, well, the... it's interesting <laughs> you mention that because
1: this is this is the thing, isn't it, Becky? Um, you know, we we look at the World Cup and we look at the successes you had there, but it was a long, long battle for you to get into that England team to force your way in. This man had his first twelve caps were on the open side. Your position. What do you remember of that battle?
2: Well, I think it's as it should be. It shouldn't be easy to get into the national team, so I, along with a number of other sevens, had to fight hard to get that opportunity. Um, And I did that. You know, if you don't get in, it's because you're not good enough, so I had to make myself good enough. And over time, I got the nod and uh, didn't look back, really. But at the time as well, it was an era in rugby
1: when they were going for the big man. I mean, Tim Rodber played there, Ben Clark played there for a good number of years, played there with good success... For the lions. Now you can get yourself fitter, you can get yourself stronger, but as poor old Austin has found out, you cannot make yourself <laughs> taller.
4: <laughs> I think I, I think I think I've found that oh, that's, harsh. Oh, that's harsh. No. It's harsh. I mean who's the abnormal one out the two of us? <laughs> <laughs> look, 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 if you were a normal person, you'd have been a proper actor, but unfortunately you had to pay <laughs>
1: Just the nine Hollywood films, Austin. Just the nine. I'm dressed, I'm
4: dressed in a freak suit. Doesn't What's the matter?
1: difference? Harry Potter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, I 7, was... 8, 7B. <laughs> I also played with <laughs> Cyclops three times. Very exciting. No, I'm fit for that. <laughs> but but what, about, what about this? Because um, I remember playing in an England B team, as it was back in 1990. We played against the Australian Emerging Wallabies, mm. and they had people like John Eales, Simon Poideman, uh, Jason Little. They were in that side. And the coach afterwards said, the standout player on the pitch was Neil Back. We saw you playing for the Barbarians against England with Eric Rush, running them ragged. And yet it took
2: until just before the World Cup and and Clive Woodward Mm. to uh, to force your way in. I had the great privilege of playing through England schools, Colts and 21s and, you know, the next step was a full national team. It took me four years before I made my debut in 94 um, against Scotland up at Murrayfield. A week later, You were in the team, you'll know about it. Gagan scored that try and we were dropped. So, it was a harsh, (laughs) brutal uh, world. I mean, ultimately, if you don't get in, it's like Eddie said to the current players now, if if you don't get in, you're not good enough, so you have to try and make yourself a better player. And I look for that point of difference, and that was, I think, the support play and the contact skills, particularly, I brought to the team that give them something different. Austin's
4: thumbing his way through your book. It you is lo- lo- really, for... really difficult colouring in. Yeah. This, I
3: mean,
5: <laughs> this
4: picture, Austin... this picture of a cat looks really close between the ears. Austin's, and, uh...
1: Austin's after a book. There was a fire at his house. It burned down his library. He lost both of his
6: books. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, tell us about this book, mean let's
1: have a look at the the title of the book. If you can get it back off of Austin, you call it the the death of rugby.
2: Yeah, um, I was very privileged to play at all the clubs I I played at and coached at, and um, this really is to tell and shine a light on the story of what happened in 2011-12, when I took on the director of rugby role at Rugby Lions. Um, We basically won 31 out of 31 games, won Auto automatic promotion and the cup, and then everyone walked away because we didn't get paid. It's not for me, it's for all the people that are involved. It was a great journey, a great story, but... Um, I revisited my professional career back from where my first autobiography left off, just so I could tell that story. So, if it helps that's in fun. any way, those people Brilliant. that lost their houses, um, lost their marriage, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, um, then that's why I wrote the book. So, you may have noticed
1: England won the Grand Slam, and we're all very happy about that. <laughs> Just put it into some sort of context, because you guys have got experience of going into the final games to win a Grand Slam, not
3: being able to do that. How tough it was for that England team to go to Paris to secure a Grand Slam win? Yeah, I think it's been a huge turnaround, you know, having uh, had the disappointment of the World Cup to suddenly come in, you know, to a tournament, new coach, new pressure and three games away from home. So they didn't have, you know, to start the hard way, go up to Scotland, Italy, Uh, obviously played the two games at Twickenham. And just to put it into perspective, you know, it took us eight years to win a Grand Slam. We lost three away from home. And going to somewhere like you know Paris, uh, even though the French aren't playing great, it's a really tough thing to be able to close it out. And credit to England, they scored three tries to nil. They went out there with a real attacking mindset and they thoroughly deserved it. And what I particularly like, a bit like Warren Gatlin, when he came in and the first year he took over as Welsh coach, he won the Grand Slam. Eddie Jones has done exactly the same and he's set the benchmark now. That should be the bare minimum. You know, England fans have been hoodwinked for the last 12 years. You know, we should, we should have been competing at the top level of this competition every year, and we haven't been. Now he's set the benchmark, and now hopefully it's something he knows he's just starting to scratch the surface, without sounding arrogant, of the potential of this England side. And hopefully that's a good benchmark for us. Yeah, let's hope so. Now, Lawrence mentioned about to go out and attack.
1: To do that... Austin, he made changes, perhaps the most significant one in your old position at scrum half. And Ben Youngs, who'd been having such a great campaign, moved to the bench, in comes Danny Kerr. Clearly now we know it was the right decision. What was his thinking when he made that choice?
4: Well, we spoke in the week about, last week, about how slow France were around the field, what their tempo of their game was like. Danny is particularly good at picking up the tempo, stretching defences. He spotted that opportunity through the middle, scored a fantastic try early on, which really settled the nerves for England. Uh, but what has more, been more impressive, and it's not just this selection, he, he's really got the best out of some players that we'd seen In the World Cup, and I know we keep harping on about the World Cup, and the World Cup's gone now and it's gone forever, but they're the same players. He's just put more confidence into them collectively and individually, Mm and both Youngs and Danny Kerr are prime examples of that. And you look in the back row, you look at Haskell and Robshaw, you know, on paper, it doesn't really work. You look at it and you you speak about the balance that these guys had in the back row, you see their names, it doesn't really work on paper, but it's worked on the field. And you you look at the centre partnership of uh, Farrell and Ford, on paper, doesn't really work but it's worked on the field and that's down to instilling confidence and a good framework and great coaching and uh, it's been a fantastic start for Eddie Jones and Borthwick, who's sorted the line out, that's yeah. very impressive mm. and Gustard defensively.
1: Notable as well, Baki, that he hasn't just thrown his bench on towards the end of the game, the last <coughs> 20 minutes. Uh, in, in France, you know, too long he didn't go on. Players you'd expect in the old days would have gone on. He did put Ben Youngs on but it didn't do anything to stop the pace of the game. In fact, it picked up, and he was instrumental in Watson's try.
2: Yeah, I think, um, like, Eddie Jones the week before uh, against Wales learnt a harsh lesson, because he did bring Manu on, and for me it was too early, and that did affect the game. So here... um, I think he was burnt by that. He only used half of his substitutions. One of those was due to the injury of Hartley. Alcida stayed on the park as well. So, he didn't just make change for change. So he made intelligent decisions. Uh, ben Young's great game the week before. I agree with the selection of K. He picks of 10 port. It was exactly what we needed um, against France and it was justified 11 minutes in. But Benny coming on, it was the right timing. And he had an effect, obviously, led to that. Well, they were losing, they were losing territory
4: trot. because of the box kicking of Danny Kerr. And what's up now said to Danny Kerr is, right, if you want to start all the time, you've got to get your box kicking really good, as good as Ben Young's. Mm. And that's why they're both... It's a bit like Dawson Bracken, where they're both pushing each other and bringing the best out of their games.
1: That's what you want, isn't it? You want that... Um, confrontation, that competition for mm-hmm. places. You mentioned Dylan Hartley having to come off. Uh, I'm sure he would have stayed on the field for the whole of the game. But a mm-hmm. word about him is captaincy, but also the set-piece. The scrum is strong, particularly the lineout, though, and the stats for the line-out in Paris, great for England, destructive against France.
2: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm really um, impressed with the work that Bothwick's done uh, and Gustard as well in partnership there, obviously under Eddie. But um, it's the mentality is the biggest change, and you know they've got a psychologist sitting on the back. We don't, we haven't talked about him a lot um, in the public. He's had a, an influence in the mindset of the players. Um, the set-piece is crucial. If you get a good set-piece, particularly a line-out, then you, you know, you're on the front foot. And if you deny the opposition possession... A number of times, the French come into England's half and we nick the ball. We didn't get them a platform, they had no first-phase play. So, we made the game easy. That has been the crucial difference. Great defence and great set-piece first phase.
1: Becky talked about uh, Eddie Jones Maybe getting his fingers burned with the replacements he made against Wales. Wales will be kicking themselves. They started so slowly in that game. They finished second, and George North eventually, after a slow start, Austin, <clears throat> the highest point scorer, a try scorer in the, in the tournament, really coming alive.
4: Yeah, he's had a difficult start to the season, hasn't he, at Northampton? Starved of the ball. Northampton actually starting to play really well again. He'd be looking forward to going back there and continuing this sort of form. It's a great try, just a decoy in the <coughs> midfield. But then you see the real pace of the guy. You know He's checked back against the defence towards the cover there and he shouldn't really get to the post without searing pace. He's big, but he's very, very quick and deceptively quick. And I, I think he's had a, a tournament that could well ignite his career again.
1: We're going to come on to a little bit later, maybe about shifting the Six Nations, where the conditions improve. Is it a coincidence that as the weather got a little bit better, people like George North suddenly find, find the track a little bit easier for them to run on?
4: I think maybe a little bit, but obviously there's a roof at Cardiff, so the weather doesn't affect you that much. I remember a, a time when, before a game in uh, 2001 where Clive brought us out in the morning to tell us what the weather was going to be like at this new stadium. <laughs> Told him there was a roof and it didn't really matter. He said, <laughs> if you speak again, you won't be playing this afternoon. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I, I think maybe a little bit, but also there's a been bit, a bit of a downturn uh, over Christmas and the sides are coming together. They've not seeing each other for a while and it just took each side a bit time to get going. France never really got going and I think that's more of a story about their whole season and how tired their players are. Italy are looking weak because they haven't got the base of players but every other side got progressively better as the tournament went on.
1: Yeah, that chat we had with Philippe Saint-André last weekend it really really showed the problems facing France. Uh, Lawrence, what about Scotland? We thought that maybe they'd finish with a bang, three wins on the bounce. They
3: couldn't quite do it but they still provided A little bit of sparkle in that game over Ireland. Yeah, as Austin said, I think Scotland are one of those teams that actually improved as the tournament went on. Had a tough assignment with England at home in the first game. But, you know, they've built on their performance in the World Cup. They were very unlucky to go out to Australia. And they produced, um, you know, a really, really good performance against the French. Always felt going over to Dublin was tough. But again, you look at individually some of those players. I thought Laidlaw had a good, solid tournament. Um, You know, Hogg was probably one of the players of the tournament outstanding scored a great try um against ireland uh, i mean this is what you don't want to do against a player of hog's ability just runs across the line picks a couple of shapes out in the front row i think is what we call them <laughs> <laughs> just finds a gap and uh, and finds a try line i think scotland have got something really positive to build on yeah, try, the, try the Six
4: Nations for me, that one. Yeah, really a good tough one. to do as The Heathcliff one was a
1: good one, though. The Heathcliff one was a very good one. It involved a few more, but that for individual skill, that was phenomenal. Uh, let's have a look, quick look at the, the world rankings, because after the Six Nations, England are recovering a little bit. They are up to fourth. Wales drop. they uh, replaced by England. They won't like that. Scotland in ninth and Japan uh, into tenth. Uh, interestingly, you can't see it there, but Georgia, again, we'll be talking about this later, are now above Italy. Congratulations to France. They are the women's RBS Six Nations champions. It was a grand slam decider as far as England were concerned for the final game. But France were just too strong for them. 17-12 victors over England. Ireland defeated Scotland 45-12, Wales 16-12. So France on points difference are the women's RBS Six Nations champions. Now it's been a hectic few months for Eddie Jones. He's gone from Aussie to adopted Pom as he faced a daunting challenge to turn around a damaged England. But he and his men rose to the challenge earlier this evening. I caught up with England's Grand Slam winning boss. Eddie, thanks so much for, uh, for giving us some of your valuable time. Many congratulations. A Grand Slam secured at the first time of asking.
6: Has this England squad exceeded your
1: expectations?
6: Uh, look, I thought we'd win the Six Nations. I think we, I thought we were good enough to win the Six Nations. You know, to win the Grand Slams probably a bonus. And uh, the great thing for this team is there's still plenty of growth left in. It. And you know, you look at the team, the average age of 24. We've got a number of players who still haven't played 30 tests. So yeah, the team's only going to get better.
1: Let's talk about Dylan because you raised a lot of eyebrows when you made him captain. A decision clearly vindicated now.
6: Oh uh, well, I think he's been a good captain. You know, he's he's led the the boys from the front. He's raised his own level of his game. He's uh, got a good rapport with the players. He knows how to handle the players. Knows how to get the best out of certain individuals. And you know, he's a he's a tough boy.
1: You gave him the captaincy. That meant the captaincy moved away from Chris Robshaw. And uh, there's a man who had a lot to prove. You must be very very impressed with how he's responded.
6: Yeah, look, I thought he had a really good, solid Six Nations, worked hard. His defence was outstanding, carried the ball well, linked at certain stages and and was absolutely invaluable support for Dylan off the field. The wealth of experience he accumulated as being captain for four seasons has really helped Dylan. He's a a really good guy, works hard with the younger players, you know, always one of the last off the field doing skills extra and he's just been a, a really invaluable player of the squad
1: some of the young guns have uh, have really stepped up to the mark um, does that when we look ahead to australia that gives you a few selection problems because there are a lot of players pushing for places now
6: yeah they're not actually problems they're uh they're fantastic options for us and you know, build, you know we're always building towards the world cup in 2019 and to have a successful team at that World Cup in each position, we need three you know, very good class test players. And I think in some positions, we're already building up to that. And with some of the guys coming back from injuries, we're going to have some nice options to to improve the team and, again, give us more tactical flexibility.
1: England are up to number four in the world rankings. Does that sound about right to you?
6: Uh, yeah, but we need to be higher. Um, you know, four's not good enough. We want to be the, the number one team in the world and until we get there, it won't sound right.
1: Well, that's what every England fan wants to hear, a coach who says we have to be number one. And uh, Owen Slot Gavin Mears, Alan Dummick, Um you have been dealing with this guy. We've seen him as, a, as the coach. You've been dealing with him with the media. Uh, Owen, how have you found him? He's, he seems a very lively character.
7: Lively? <laughs> he keeps us on edge, that's for yeah. sure. He keeps his players on edge. That's one of the reasons they've been so successful. Uh, he uses the media very smartly. He, he, he reads everything that's written, sees everything that's broadcast, challenges people, but he uses that to get a message out. He'll use that to get a message out to Wales, as we saw, to Ireland very specifically when he did all that stuff. He talked about Johnny Sexton. Mm. So he wants people to know what he's thinking and he tries to drive the agenda that way. Very often, he will put stuff out there which might create a bit of a storm. Great stories for us. Uh, but it makes the, uh, all the attention go on to him. Takes a bit of the pressure off his players. He, he's, he's that's a very sort of Alex Ferguson type thing to do. Take all it onto himself and let the players get on with it. They're very smart,
1: Kevin, Have you noticed a difference in the atmosphere now at England press conferences around the England camp, uh, for the better, possibly for the worse, with
8: Eddie Jones now around? Yeah, I think uh, as Owen said, it's it's really been a whirlwind. I mean, it's 122 days he's been there and he's delivered a grand slam. And I think it, w- what we see with Eddie is that he. He, as, as Owen says, he challenges everything. The status quo doesn't, it isn't for him. So we have found him to be um, a, a coach who asks questions of his players. And I think the, 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 the biggest impress, impressive thing for me is that how he has just managed to, to bring a, a sense of urgency and it, the, the, the real problems that, that England might have had in the past of not just quite believing in themselves. He has said, we can win this Grand Slam... And they've delivered it.
1: Alan, he seems as well very good at handling the players. There was the clamour, particularly from you guys get Itoji in. Not specifically you, but the gentleman of the press. Get Itoji in. And he joked about that, saying, calling in the Vauxhall Viva. And he, he almost just held Itoji back, almost to force him, Itoji, to respond. When you look at him, do you see almost a sort of a grandmaster putting his positions, places in position?
5: Well, it's funny you say that because when you go to a press conference with him and the dictaphones are on the table, he does move them about into positions that suit him better, as if he's doing a play by play. It's interesting as well you bring up the point with the Toji holding him back because that seems to be a real theme of him. He's not happy just dropping a player in. I mean, we might see it in the future when uh, someone like Henry Slade comes back into the England squad, for example. I don't imagine that he will drop him straight into play because there's a lot of clamour about it. With Toji he held his, uh, held his time. Uh, with Elliot Daly, for example, as well, there was a lot of clamour about him. And he held it back. And I suppose you're right, it is, he is a confrontational man. He does challenge everything that's put in front of him. I imagine he's exactly the same with the players behind closed doors. If someone's not meeting his standards, he will say it and he will challenge you to meet that players
1: seem to love it. Billy Vunapolo, a big smile on his face whenever his whenever uh, Eddie Jones men- name is mentioned. Let's talk about the Six Nations in general. And When you look at the Six Nations 2016 vintage, what do you make of it?
7: Well, I, th- I think most people would agree that, in my, my opinion, it started on a pretty low level. We came in off the World Cup thinking, are they going the coaches going to try and borrow from the World Cup, change their, their tactics, tactically just uh, nuance them, their, their teams to, to copy what the Southern Hemisphere were doing? And th- th- there was disappointment with that. We didn't really see much of that. Uh, we saw the, some impression they were trying to, to shift, but it's been very, very hard. And I think part of the reason for that is the players haven't really stopped from the World Cup. They haven't stopped for breath. The coaches don't get very, get very much time to work with them. So I think, to, to, overall, I would say that the quality of, the six, of this Six Nations Championship has not been great. But I think what we're really seeing is just the treadmill of rugby and professional rugby players in, in the Northern Hemisphere. In the fact, they get very little time to stop and be properly coached. Now, England have got better and better because they've had really good coaching, so we've seen that, but for a whole campaign across the board to be really high quality, I just think it's really hard to do that now.
1: Gavin, this is an interesting point, isn't it? We talked about maybe changing the points system. Uh, we're talking about changing a few bits and pieces. Does European rugby as a whole need a complete re-examination from international
8: to club level? I'm not so sure it does, Martin. I think, I think it's always difficult in a World Cup year to, to generate the interest and mem- maintain the momentum that, that such a focus goes into those seven or eight weeks uh, for the World Cup. I think, ultimately, Eddie Jones has shown what, what he can do with a talented group of England players, and I think... And we even saw in the World Cup, Scotland, Wales getting very close to getting through to the last four. Um, a kick of the ball, a different decision in, in, in the White Heat moments. I think that, I think Europe has to have faith in itself. And I think Eddie Jones, for me, the fascinating thing would be to see how he copes taking his team to Australia. And that will be a, sort of a, a real milestone in, in England's development under Jones.
1: Great stuff. With the conclusion of the Six Nations. The pub conversations all start. What is the best team taken from all those participating in the Six Nations? <clears throat> we have exactly the same conversations ourselves here, and this is the team that we have come up with. Just to let you know the forwards, courtesy of Lawrence Bruno Nero, Delalio, and the backs, courtesy
3: of Austin Healy. Lawrence, senior citizen, on this one, you go first. Explain yourself. Well, there's always going to be some contrasting selections. You know, some Welsh people might say, where are the Welsh forwards? You know, if the England game had gone differently, maybe Fallatau and Lydiot may well have played a part. But if we start with the front row, I think Jack McGrath at Loosehead has been the real dominant personality. Scrummager, you know, big ball carrier for Ireland. So that's their Garrido, in social media, people were saying, France have done very little, if anything, in this tournament. But him as captain, I think, has been outstanding in terms of his leadership. And Nell has given that real solidity to the Scotland scrum and, and given them the foundations as well. An All England second row for me, again, the likes of uh, Alan Wynne-Jones could have come into contention, but uh, Otoji, everyone's find of the tournament from a, a young player, and George Cruz, what a magnificent performance. Now working again with Steve Borthwick, I think England's set piece, as Bakke was saying, has been instrumental in their success. I'm going to hand over to Bakke now just to talk across the back row and some of the other options.
2: Yeah, um Polo been standout forward uh, in the Six Nations for me, three times, man of the match. Um, the other two, like Haskell and Rob Shaw, fantastic tournament, Grand Slam winners, you can't deny that. But CJ Standard for me, South African, as is Nell, now Irish, into the side. It was phenomenal, it was brilliant. Lydia yeah. had some great games, but obviously didn't play through the tournament. And Hardy, um, up in Scotland against the, the pump,
3: really, it has been standout for them, so deserves his place. And possibly, I mean, no no, Sergio Parisi, probably for the first time ever. He doesn't come into the reckoning. And really, a lot of people, I'm sure it hasn't been named yet, but this guy's got to be up there as not just the player, the, the forward of the tournament, but possibly even the player of the tournament. You yeah,
1: always get the feeling that Parisi was just carrying far too much, had the whole weight of Italy on his shoulders. What about the backs? I see three white shirts in there
4: again, Austin. Justify yeah, I yourself. Think most people will think about scrum half more than anything. There'll be, say, Youngs, but he didn't play all the games. and Danny Kerr started against France, but I thought his game was really come on, he looks sharp, he looks fit, he lost a bit of weight. I think Davis had a fantastic uh, tournament. Uh, again, scored a lot of tries. Very dangerous runner. And Laidlaw, if we didn't have a kicker or two kickers in our backline, you'd potentially think about Laidlaw. Bigger, I think, stands out at 10. But I know Farrell didn't play 10, but if I was picking players out of position, I thought he was so steady, so composed, I'd play him at 10. I think he added a real steel to that backline as a vice-captain and uh, was probably, for me, uh, one of the standout players of the tournament along with Wunipola. And, you know, his kicking percentage under pressure, very, very good. thought Taylor was excellent, took a good opportunity, scored a couple of tries. We've seen, we've spoken about Hogg, how good he was, how many tries North scored. And I thought Watson came on leaps and bounds in this tournament. Other right wingers you could have selected. Uh, there's quite a few. We could we could have picked uh, Wakatawa, uh, but I think he missed too many tackles. He was a little bit dangerous. Comes in and out of a game. He's not all constantly there. He just won a little bit more concentration from him. Finds himself too tight to the rook ball, carrying as a forward. He's not. He's a winger and a very, very good one. But overall, that's the back line we picked on, on social media, most people saying, a lot of people saying Roberts at 12, which I don't think many you can argue with, I just thought he added a little bit more, and as a a Grand Slam winner, I don't know if you know that, but England won the Grand Slam, um, I thought we should pick him. Uh, We've got here uh, McGrath and Evans, uh, Jamie Roberts again, Tommy Seymour's mentioned on the wing, had a good tournament. Uh, let's slide down, Joe Marler. Not too bad, uh, and that's about it. Most people saying, if you noticed, there's four Saracens in that team, and uh, they're looking forward to getting them back.
1: Well, everyone's going to be respecting Leicester Tigers. I think they always do. They move back into the top four. I suppose the most notable change and move is right at the top, where Exeter Chiefs, with that win over the Northampton Saints, move to the top of the table. So for the first time in a long time, Saracens do not occupy top spot. The clash between them at Allianz Park this weekend in one of our televised games will definitely be worth watching a crucial game. Crucial as well, Northampton Saints against Harlequins. You get the feeling that whoever loses that game will start to say goodbye, possibly to a playoff place. Gloucester Rugby, well, they're not happy. They've now lost two on the bounce. David Humphreys saying that if we carry on playing like that, we do not deserve to be in the top six. South Sharks and Bath, they have a game in hand. Bath will be delighted. They finally got a win on the board. Newcastle Falcons thought they could have snatched it, but those final drop-gold attempts all fell agonisingly short or wide. But what about that win for London Irish? means that their game with Worcester Warriors again is such a crucial one and if London Irish win, the pressure they put on Newcastle Falcons will start to grow and grow. But certainly the team of the weekend, Exeter Chiefs. Their inexorable rise from promoted team up through the Premiership now to playoff contenders. It almost looks a nailed on cert that they will reach the playoffs for the very first time. Um, and hats off to, to Rob Baxter and everyone involved with, uh, with the extra Chiefs. Lawrence, they look a very, very competent and complete side now.
3: Yeah, they do. And um, yeah, the match yesterday, they were, they were up against Northampton, who were the form team coming into that game. I think they won 24 out of, out of 30 points, so they've suddenly got themselves back on track. And actually, the first half, Northampton were you know, the better side. You know, they, had all the, uh, they were firing all the shots. Uh, John Fisher um, and the pack were going well got themselves into a commanding lead. And I think whatever Rob Baxter said at half-time certainly did the trick. They came out and completely changed in the second half and uh, really didn't allow Northampton, uh, you know, anywhere in the game and scored all the points in the in the second half. Backy, they've got plenty of guile in the backs, but they're also a hard, abrasive pack as well. It's a good mix, isn't it? Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, I uh, sort of travelled up with the fans going up. I was out down in Devon and uh, they were very vocal and sp- talking up the, the side, they were talking about, you know, the progression of the club over the years, and, you know, they've got lots of support. And a, they're a hard team to beat. Travelling down there must be a hardship, but uh, they definitely turn up week in, week out, and deserve to be at the top of the tree. You, Austin, what about... Just uh... wondering
4: if you left your clothes down in Devon, cos you've got your sons on tonight. So <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've, had this, I've got four daughters, I can't wear my kids' clothes. Uh, no, that great that, thing is, that, that is rich,
1: coming from a man who doesn't pay VAT
4: on his clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right, that's <laughs> So you're going to say, you don't have to be tall to stand out. <laughs> good man. Um,
1: Austin, let's get back to the rugby. Uh, Henry White. Slade. Henry, <laughs> Henry Slade. I mean, this is a guy who, right at the start of the Six Nations, uh, Eddie Jones was intimating maybe he would be his ten, he broke his leg, he's back in double-quick time. What do you make of his performance at the weekend?
4: I thought he had an all-round really good performance. He made a couple of errors, as most people do, but Lawrence will tell you, I've, I've never broken my leg, but coming back from a broken leg is really, really difficult. We saw what it did to Danny Cipriani for a number of years and this guy put in a good performance physically stood up he looks like you know it's still there a little bit as it will be in your mind and and physiologically but the pass he made for the try the breaks that he's making the kicks I've always been a huge admirer of his he's got an all round great skills package and uh, it's undoubted that we're gonna see him. this is a fantastic pass for a try it's undoubted we're gonna see him in an England shirt on repeated occasions no it didn't but look he makes a break to the outside (laughs) and We've all, not all of us, most of these guys have made that type of error in the past. <laughs> and uh, Very it's, good. you know, those things happen. And uh, especially when it's one game back, let's not forget he broke his yeah. leg. Uh, literally, what, eight weeks ago, ten weeks ago? Yeah. So he's done good remarkably news. Good well. News for,
3: for, for Eddie Jones and for Rob Baxter is that he's got enough games at the end of the season now just to, you know, to help, you know, Exeter go on and hopefully win some trophies and, and obviously with England and the summer tour as well.
1: Yeah, the extra story is a remarkable one. Of course, let's... Just note, of course, a big, big win for WAS. They are looking strong indeed. They're almost certainly guaranteed a playoff place. They'll be pushing for the top two, and well done, as we mentioned, to London Irish. They are not giving up their premiership status without a fight. <laughs> now, earlier this afternoon, I spoke with England's Grand Slam winning coach, Eddie Jones. We heard half of the interview earlier on in the programme. This is what else the great man had to offer. Rugby's something you know inside out, and yet you're sat there with a red rose on your chest. Twickenham has been cheering you on. You're preparing a team to head down to Australia. At times, has it seemed a little bit surreal?
6: Oh, it's you know, it's fascinating the opportunities that get, get thrown up in sport. You know, and, and the right time has come along for me to be England coach, and I've yeah you know, got to enjoy the experience, uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity, and you know. I, I most of all feel very honoured to be the England coach and to have the opportunity to coach such a fine bunch of players. And the support for the England team has been absolutely fantastic.
1: You talk about the, the, the players very, very quickly. I also want to talk about the coaching team that you assembled. You clearly knew Steve Borthwick very well from your days with Japan. Paul Gustard comes in as well, other people in the uh, in the fringes around there. What what do you say about your, your coaching team?
6: Oh, they've done a super job, you know, Guzzy's put in the defence system, we're still learning, but at times during the Six Nations, you know, we've been absolutely brutal in our defence, and that'll only continue to get better. Steve Borthwick's work with the Fords, ter- more particularly in terms of their line out, and we saw the fruits of his uh, tuition with uh, our line out defence against France on the weekend. Ian Peel's, you know, uh, come in from Saracens and spent a day a week with us doing the scrum coaching. And, yeah, our scrum's improved as a tournament's gone on. And then we've had guys like Johnny Wilkinson come and do coaching, and uh, the guys just love his coaching. George Smith's done a bit of the breakdown. Yeah, you know, all these guys do it out of the goodness of their heart, and the players really enjoy their expertise.
1: Yeah, when you talk to the players, they're absolutely buzzing about that. They now come back to their clubs, they're into the Premiership grind. Again, when you look at the domestic game, do you, are you happy with what you see? Is it producing what you need?
6: Yeah, well, you just got to look, you know, we were just commenting before that we're going to have selection problems, which is a, a great testament to the ability of the Premiership to produce good players. And, you know, they are producing good players. You know, there are times in the Premiership when I watch it, I, I might get frustrated by the style of play. But, you know, every team's got to play the style of play that they want to play. And but at, at the end of the day, they're producing talented players, and that's a great thing for the clubs.
1: Eddie Jones, thank you so much for your time. Many, many congratulations. Thanks, Martin. Jeez. guy, a man much in demand, gave us a lot of time. Good to hear from him. Alan Dimmock, Sports Journalist of the Year from Rugby World. Um, One of the uh, job descriptions that Eddie Jones would have been given was make sure that when you step down, potentially in four years' time, we have a line of succession in place to replace you. Do you see that line being established?
5: Well, when he first swept in, that was one of the first things he said. He said, I'd have a chat with the coaches in the Premiership, see what was going on. It's interesting because he is a little bit of a micromanager. So, for example, taking charge of the backs himself, looking after that side of things with the England side. With that, he's given a lot of rope to Gustard and to Borthwick. Fantastic job they've done with the set piece. The toss-up now is between whether they let them have a bit more responsibility in the side or whether they bring someone in, um, perhaps, to look at... There's, there's a chat of a, a, an under-23s tour to South Africa um, masquerading as a Saxon side. Maybe, maybe that's the opportunity to bring in some coaches from the Premiership. Um, someone like Baxter from Exeter, for example, and let them show what they can do with those sort of players, take the reins and then see what happens from there. But, you know, he's only been in the job for 122 days. I don't think he's had too much time to have a sit-down... and. Uh, debrief with a couple of coaches yet.
1: Gavin, what about the, the young players who come through? Without a doubt, he had a, a tremendous box of tricks to work with. He just had to make them, uh, make the tricks work. Uh, the guy who produced or oversaw the emergence of those players was, of course, Stuart Lancaster. There's debate now with Joe Lydon having stepped away who is going to be responsible
8: for that. Is Stuart Lancaster the man qualified to do that job? It, there's, there's probably nobody who knows more about the system and about the young players, because. That's where he came from and that was one of his most strong selling points when he got the job, is that he could identify the pathway for so many of the young players coming through. So, in that point of view, he, he is perfect for it. I think it's just whether the RFU feel that there would be baggage with him coming back in, having just left the setup, and I guess how he would work with Eddie Jones, because it's got to be quite a strong relationship and a, um, it, it, whether we will see Eddie having an input into that role, I can't believe he won't want to have an input. Um, but I think, on the point about the succession, it's a, quite a unique situation. We've got Eddie definitely stepping down after 2019. There's not many coaching jobs where we all know the end game here. And I think Jones will have a very strong hand in identifying the next coach, and I'm pretty sure it will come out of the Premiership.
1: Oh, and I asked him if it was a bit surreal walking out of Twickenham, having the red rose on his chest. It's going to be incredibly surreal taking a team down to Australia. Uh, it's a proper tour, three test matches, but midweek games as well. That's <coughs> going to be a great opportunity for him to, to blood new players and see how they respond in that pressure situation, I guess.
7: Yeah, I think he, he's, um, he's, already, he's moved straight on from that Grand Slam onto plan for the next phase. He's, he's already said, the way we played in the Six Nations is going to have to change and adapt for Australia. So. The idea that he's got a settled team is nice, but he's going to change that. He's not going to let people just sit there. Once you've got your place, he said today, we asked him, you know, has anyone, uh, any places up for grabs? He says there's 15 up for grabs, the whole lot. So um, he, he knows which positions. you had been talking a lot about the uh, number seven today. He's very big focus on that. He's obviously got to um, uh, bring Manu in, who he, he's fixated with getting Manu in, we know that. That creates a, a really interesting selection uh, issue at 10, Henry Slade coming back in. So, I think he's really looking forward to that. And as you say, uh, the, the Aussie versus the Aussie. And you've got two massive characters there, with yeah. Eddie Jones and Michael Checker. that will be fantastic.
1: You guys are going to absolutely love it. Great stuff. So, the big guns are back. Those who've been playing in the Premiership, they'll consider themselves to be the big guns. Austin, this is where life gets very, very interesting indeed. Playoff places, European places, relegation places. How do you read it?
4: Yeah, lots of fun, lots of big games coming up. All the players coming back. Whether they have a week off this coming week, who knows? I think a lot of the guys coming back from the Six Nations might be a little bit tired, mainly from the night out they had post match. But uh, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think so. Judging by some of the pictures, we couldn't show. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm really looking forward to it and not just at the top now this year the the bottom We've got a real scrap on Irish winning last week. They go to Worcester uh, They could get a, a decent result there. They'll need at least a point at Worcester We all know that because then they've got to go to Newcastle as well and Irish have got a decent run in So at the bottom that's still a two-horse race Let's say Worcester are safe now moving forward whether they win lose or whatever moving forward uh, and then at the top I think there's still plenty of opportunity to change. Down at the bottom there, there's the, re- the, uh, the c- upcoming games. Irish, Worcester, Sale, they could beat. Newcastle away, that's a massive game. Could well decide the end of the season. Uh, and uh, I think Newcastle have got a really hard run of games. Lawrence, so, when,
1: when you look at that, um, who do you favour? Do you think Worcester are safe now?
3: Yeah, I do. I mean, they'll want to win the game against uh, Irish this weekend, but I do feel that they're safe. Um, 30 points is a lot. Um, You know, London Irish, they'll be heartened by that victory. It's going to be really, really interesting. It's it's a much bigger game for them, obviously, this weekend. And then that crucial one against Newcastle. But the top of the table is equally as exciting. Um, You know, Saracens deserved champions last season. They've had a bad Six Nations just because of the influence of all their players in England. They'll be desperate to get them back. Um, Exeter, again, very exciting. The, The champions crown is under threat. It's not to say that Saracens aren't good enough to win it, but you've got Exeter, Northampton, Wasps are a very dangerous team at this time of year. Leicester in the mix as well. So it's really, really interesting.
1: Backy, that's what we want, though, isn't it? We want competition top to bottom.
2: Absolutely. It's really exciting. I think uh, the World Cup pre-Christmas was dour, disappointing, but the Premiership has lit things up <laughs> on the back of a Six Nations win, so
4: I'm looking forward to the end of the season.
1: Austin, if you look to your top four, who would your top four be come the end of the regular season?
4: I think the top four will stay as it is. I think the Northampton-Leicester game will be decisive in whether Leicester stay in there. Uh, Wasps have got a style of play that are difficult to beat. Exeter looks strong across the field. But Saracens, when they get those big boys back, are the favourites. Let's not take anything away from that. Those guys are the team to beat. Thanks for
1: listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back next week, and you can make sure you don't miss an episode by clicking on subscribe. You can also apply for free tickets for all of our upcoming shows by emailing audience at rugbytonight.com.